Batgirl and Catwoman. Welcome to FW Team Up, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Siskoid. And I'm Ashford. Taking you through a classic superhero or anti-hero team-up, Bad Girl and Catwoman from Birds of Prey, Bad Girl, Catwoman. That's from 2003. And Ashford, well, I know you best as the host of Straight Outta Gallifrey, but uh, you also have a Birds of Prey podcast. That is correct. I have a podcast over at the Right On Network called Feathers and Foes, where we, I don't know if you call it an index show, but we're... We're a show where we cover everything Birds of Prey as far as the comics. And quite soon, we will finally be in the Gail Simone run. Ooh. Yeah, feathers and foes. Yeah, I keep calling it Birds of a Feather for some reason. Uh (laughs) I like that. That would have been a better title, actually. It would have made sense. Maybe it's somebody else's title, and that's why I'm thinking of it. Well, in each episode of FW Team Up, one panelist will pick one character to defend. So in this case, Ashford, who's your gal? Barbara Gordon, Batgirl. Ooh, well, I will take Catwoman, no problem. And as is customary, we'll preface with a reason or reasons why we like the character we've chosen. So, Ashford, what's so great about Batgirl? Uh, full disclosure, I mean, I don't know why I would hide anything, but when I was a young child growing up in the 80s, I would watch uh, Batman, uh, I guess the uh, Adam West series with my brother mm-hmm. on the local station. It was called 20 Vision. I guess it would be like UPN or something right now. And we would watch, you know, Batman and Robin. And I always thought it was cool. Do you remember when Batgirl would show up on there? You would see her motorcycle go across the screen at the last second in the credits. And that would make you know, like, oh, Batgirl's going to be in. That's pretty cool. Right. And I always thought that the character was cool. And then, but I never really pursued it after that show. And then when, you know, I got a little older and I started getting a little further into DC Comics, I started having a persuasion towards uh, Birds of Prey. And I really started getting into Barbara Gordon as Oracle. But the reason why I like Batgirl, it's kind of cool because, you know, like with Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, you kind of can't touch them. You know, like if you make a slight little change, people go crazy. But Mm -hmm. with characters that I call like the peripheral characters, I find them more fascinating because writers and creative teams, they can go like, hey, let's take this turn with them. And some people might cry in the streets, but it seems like you have more freedom. And so Batgirl, I I think you get the best of both worlds because or a bunch of worlds, not just two, because she's Bat family. So she's going to have that Bat symbol. That's cool. She has the motorcycle. She's a, a researcher, Ph.D., librarian. So you can do a little bit more with her and you're going to believe her uh, civilian side of it. With Bruce Wayne, we're not going to see that much of it. And if it's too much, people might go like, all right, just give him more Batman. But with Barbara Gordon, if we saw her in her civvies a lot, we would be like, yeah, I want to follow this. Where is this going? Yeah, she feels more real as a character than other members of the Bat family. I think so. And then the crimson hair doesn't hurt. <laughs> and I, I just think man, it's, it's cool. Like, And usually like with female protagonists, I notice that I kind of have an affinity for them because... I don't know. It seems like they give you another dynamic, you know, like no shots at Hal Jordan, but it's just like, hey, I'm this dude and and, and I'm, I'm just this dude. But when you have someone like Barbara Gordon, it, it, it seems like sometimes with female characters, 
is more going on with them. You know, the writers uh, uh, do do more with them, whereas with certain male characters, especially like if they're not personality driven, they're just the dude. It, it, it seems like there's limits to them. Yeah, there are icons and then there are characters. There you go. And bad girl, bad girl's a character. Yeah. Yeah. What about yourself, Catwoman? <laughs> what makes you take that one other than there was no other choice? Well, <laughs> yeah. But, well, it's interesting that you mentioned the Batman TV show from the, the 60s because... Uh, you know, your first is often your best. So to me, it's kind of um, the curves on Julie Newmar <laughs> as mm. Catwoman on that show. Uh, Catwoman was played by a number of of people, but uh, three just on that that show and and the you know the corresponding film. But my first was Julie Newmar, and I remember very clearly that one episode where she's crying some crocodile tears, and and Batman has this bat shaped or like cape shaped handkerchief in his uh, in his belt. Uh, and he gives it to her and she's like sniffling in it. And then, of course, she uses that as, as a distraction to, to escape. That's like one of my first Batman memories, point blank. Uh, and it was in French. You know, it was like the French dub of the show. So, yeah, when I think of Catwoman, I, I can see like various renditions. But it's the Julie Newmar playing on Superman, on Superman, I mean, bat, on Batman's feelings uh, in that episode that really is the first, my first flash <laughs> that comes, and and I'm a cat person as well. So you know, I'm I'm probably built to like Catwoman because uh, you know I, I always have cats in my life and and love them. It's not just because I'm I'm forced to, although Batgirl's great as well. I love that. That's awesome. You know, Catwoman is interesting. How she it seems like she is consistently written as like just this complex character that vexes Batman at every point and every turn. Yeah. Yeah. I will we'll talk about it a bit in the publication history and you know how she started out and all that, but you know every uh dark-caped crusader needs his femme fatale, you know. So uh and Catwoman's it. Most definitely. Let's talk about that publication history. Let's talk about uh both stars really. Ashford, you want to start with uh, Barbara Gordon's history as Batgirl? Sure, why not? So uh Many have donned the Batgirl moniker, but for the purpose of this podcast, I will discuss the fabulous Barbara Gordon. In January 1967, in Detective Comics 359, titled The Million Dollar Debut of Batgirl, Barbara Gordon makes her debut as the Cape Crusader Batgirl by Gardner, Fox, and Carmine Infantino. From 1967 to 1988, Batgirl made appearances in Detective Comics, Bat Family, and an array of DC comic books, if you can imagine. In 1998, Barbara Gordon appeared in Barbara Kessel's Batgirl Special Number 1, where it shows a retired Batgirl becoming a librarian. I recommend that one. It's a good one. As many of you may know, the first Batgirl was Betty Kane, niece to Kathy Kane, and serving as a love interest to Robin the Boy Wonder. In 1964, when Julia Swartz became the editor in the Batman books, he deemed the Bat Family books a little too silly. 86 in the Batwoman and Batgirl characters all together, placing the Bat books to their core, you know, the vigilante book, if you will. We all know the Batman television show in the 1960s, right? Well, the TV execs wanted a female character as one of the good guys to engender a female audience to the show. TV executive William Dozier suggested that the character be the commissioner's daughter, who is secretly moonlighting as the crimson-haired Batgirl. In the comics, when Barbara Gordon was not a caped crusader, she worked her way up to a PhD in library science, which led to her being the head 
of the Gotham Public Library, and apparently in the DC Universe, it's like one of the, the biggest ones. She was given regular backup slots starting in Detective Comics 384, mostly written by Frank Robbins. From there, Batgirl has made appearances in Justice League of America, The Brave and the Bold, World's Finest, Action Comics, Superman, just to name a few. And after the Batgirl special number one, later that year in 1988, after Barbara Gordon retired as a vigilante and joined time with her dad, after answering a knock-knock at the door, she reached the end of a phase of her life when she was shot in the spine by the Joker, leaving her as a paraplegic, which starts the next phase of her life as the information broker and super hacker, the Oracle. Yeah, and of course, that would be eventually undone for the new 52, and Bad Girl would be getting her, you know, series again. But uh, if we're not talking about Oracle today, it's because the book we're going to be looking at has a sequel, which has Oracle, and I'm hoping Astrid will join me next year to cover it. So we'll, we'll cover the next part of her history then. Excellent. If that's okay, yeah. Uh, as for Catwoman, Selina Kyle, uh, well, she made her debut all the way back in the 1940s, Batman number one. Uh, although she was called The Cat, and appeared uh, in the next two issues. Bob Kane and Bill Finger's creation was to be a femme fatale love interest visually based on the 1930s actress Jean Harlow. She appeared quite a bit uh, until uh, the mid-50s, when the Comics Code Authority put the kibosh on sexy femme fatales, it seems. And it would take the 60s TV show, just like Bad Girl, to bring her back in this case. And from there, uh, she would return to the comics. Catwoman finally gets a miniseries all her own in the wake of uh, the Miller and uh, Mazzuccelli Batman Year One, which reimagined her as a sex worker. And the series gets more into the history of this and is by Mindy Newell and J.J. Birch. She appears in Batman Returns in 1992, played by Michelle Pfeiffer. Then Selina gets a continuing series in 1993, initially by Joe Duffy and Jim Ballant. That lasts 100 issues, if you count annuals. And th uh, there she's an anti-hero, a thief, but one that helps the people in her life. And this is maintained in Catwoman Volume 3, initially by Ed Brubaker and Darwin Cook, who give it a real noir spin. That starts in 2002 and lasts until 2008. That's an 82-issue run, which is widely considered the high-water mark for Catwoman comics. During this time, she collaborated with the Birds of Prey a couple times, and after this was one of the Gotham Sirens and starred in that series. For the most part, the Catwoman series avoid Batman, though she continues to make guest appearances in his books, mostly thanks to crossover events set in Gotham, and more as an ally than a foil. Movie-wise, she appears in The Dark Knight Rises, and confusingly lends her name to a Vixen movie, if you know the one I mean. Looking back on it now, dying was the best thing that ever happened to me. Post-Flushpoint, that's... 2011, Catwoman again gets her own series, and it starts off with a controversial bang, literally. She and Batman have sex on the last page in full costume, because, I guess, Judd Winnick read Watchmen, I guess. Uh, the new 52 accounts for 58 more issues for Selina, and though she hasn't had a continuing series since 2016, she's still important. She just got married to Bruce Wayne this month. What? Well, maybe not. <laughs> maybe, uh... Maybe a hoax. I don't know. I haven't read those comics yet, but um, some people have said that it was a lot of hype for nothing. We'll see. Mm. We'll see. I, I don't want to spoil it for anyone, I guess. 
So I didn't check for myself the answer. Let's just delve into this one. This team up that takes place a little bit when Barbara was Bad Girl. So it's a little while ago from the perspective of the comic itself. Uh, Bad Girl Catwoman by writer John Francis Moore with art by Derek Robertson and Jimmy Palmiotti. Will you do the honors? Yes, here we go. Several years ago, we open up with a not-so-gnarly biker, Jacques-Henri Duchat, going over a bridge in sheer terror, but don't fear, he is not alone, for the mask avenger who is riding his back is Batgirl. As Duchat and Batgirl are facing sudden death, Batgirl has these quick hallucinations of Batman and Robin's disapprovement, kind of figuring she didn't really have the chops. And while she's still in mid-dissension, she's imagining her father and perhaps two dudes on the force at her funeral looking down at her coffin. Barbara Gordon is bracing for the fall. And we don't mean that in a poetic Elliot Smith type way. No, from the height of Bad Girl and the perp's fall, hitting the water would be like hitting concrete. So her only hope is to land the right way in the falsetto waste management waste disposer. And that is the better option? Dusha and Batgirl land safely-ish, but unfortunately Batgirl spies a decomposed body. Yikes. Meanwhile, in the fenced-off Gotham Cathedral, a vampire-looking dude is making secret arrangements with a mysterious figure. And later, Selina Kyle visits the Wayne Foundation's Santa Prisca Relief Fundraiser in the hopes of picking up a few stray jewels. She seems impressed with wheelchair-bound philanthropist Ryder Burnham, who is hosting the event despite his recent accident. After moonlighting and almost dying as Batgirl, Barbara Gordon visits her father, James Gordon, trying to convince the beleaguered right side of the fence crime fighter to look up from his desk and actually enjoy life by spending some quality father-daughter time. She even offers to digifile the mountains of papers on his desk like she does as head librarian of Gotham Public Library. James declines the offer, leaving Barbara quite perplexed. Back at Barbara Gordon's dwelling, she is sitting at the kitchen table, drafting a letter to her father, confessing that she is the bad girl. She explains that first night, taking down Killer Moth, demanding Batman to train her, and leading this double life. After coming to her senses, she burns the letter, going out into the night, to get answers about the body she found unceremoniously thrown into the garbage. Elizabeth McKay, born in Minerva, Ohio, according to the coroner report, died of electrocution. Batgirl was able to scan this information with her photographic memory while Lieutenant Belzer went to get coffee. Later that night, Batgirl snooped into the detective's files, working the case, looking for anything they may have glossed over. A diary. These were just the intricate details she would need to bust this case wide open. Basically, the diary entailed about this naive young lassie from Minerva running away from home to find herself both geographically and perhaps existentially. Yep, you guessed. She was in Gotham, walking on the wild side, basically embodying the protagonist in Bob Dylan's Like a Rolling Stone. Within the diary, Batgirl finds a business card to a club called the Ninth Circle. This is a job for Babs. Now in civilian clothes, Barbara takes a visit to this post-90s techno nightclub, trying to get info about Liz McKay. On the dance floor, 
Babs bumps into an old high school friend, Valerie Luton, who Babs once knew before she dropped out her junior year. Sliding into a life of raves, designer drugs, and intimacy with wannabe urban fantasy types. Being a regular, Valerie leads her towards the most exclusive part of the club, the lounge. Babs obliges, hoping to get answers to the girl she found dead much earlier. Valerie's no help and ditches Babs for some dude that looks much older and creepier. Barbara talks to the bouncer of the more exclusive section of the club, asking if he knew anything about Elizabeth McKay, producing a picture to jog his memory. The dude recognized her, stating the last time he saw Elizabeth McKay, she was with the dude her friend Valerie was leaving with just a short time ago. Yikes! Now after the fundraiser, Selena returns home and gets dressed for her night job. Impressive or not, Ryder Burnham is her next mark, or more specifically, his private art collection is. But then we rejoin Valerie Luton's story, and she's being delivered at Burnham's mansion by the so-called vampire. After a hale and healthy Burnham has his way with her, he goes mad and tries to kill her with electrical powers. Catwoman witnesses this while trying to lift some stolen Renaissance paintings. After struggling with her conscience, she decides to intervene and helps Val escape. Later, the vampire Eric Dark gets a phone call from Burnham. The millionaire wants him to kill Val and Catwoman before they blab to the police. After getting word from Ryder Burnham to find the Valerie Luton woman to dispose of her, Eric Dark is on his way to Luton's apartment to kill her and the accomplice that rescued her from the death grips of Burnham. Little did he know, Bad Girl was tailing him, hoping that he would lead her to Valerie Luton. But in the corner of her eye, Bad Girl notices someone else is watching Luton's apartment. Catwoman! Catwoman finds herself at Val's apartment too, yeah, looking for the girl's passport so she can leave town. The vampire is about to stab her in the back when... Shing! A batarang knocks the weapon out of Eric Dark's hands. Yep, it's Bad Girl! And she has questions. Like, where is Valerie Luton? Producing another blade out of nowhere, Dark is not amused with the situation at all. Batgirl assails him with a swift right kick, which Dark blocks. With quick speed, he counters with a swing of the blade, ripping the fabric off Batgirl's right arm. <gasps> Still stunned, Batgirl hasn't noticed that Eric has grabbed an entertainment stand, if you will, slamming it down on Batgirl. Grabbing a tall lamp, he swings at Batgirl, whacking her into next week. Catwoman finally jumps in, grabbing Dark's blade from the floor. Catwoman tells Dark to tell his boss to forget all about Val Luton, or they will go to the cops. And over Batgirl's protests, she lets him go. Then she's off across the rooftops. Batgirl follows Catwoman out the window, chasing her across the rooftops. Still rather cross that Catwoman allowed Dark to just walk away as if nothing happened. But Catwoman is right. Dark is just an errand boy, and Catwoman has leads, so Batgirl must play this cat-and-mouse game with the greatest cat burglar of all time. Running and leaping across rooftops, Batgirl tries to remain focused, but when she takes her final leap, landing on her right tippy-toe, the surface beneath her crumbles. Hanging for dear life, Batgirl uses her upper body strength to pull herself up. After pulling up her body and self-respect, her only audience is the smug Catwoman who was waiting for her the whole time. Batgirl confronts Catwoman with her hypocritical self-righteousness, which Catwoman throws back in her face, explaining that Batgirl too is a criminal because she is a vigilante. Again, Catwoman has stung her with some hard truths. 
After swallowing her pride, Batgirl is on board to team up with Catwoman to find the killer Elizabeth McKay. Batgirl agrees to meet with Catwoman tomorrow. Later, on a rooftop, Batgirl is reading through Liz McKay's journal again, trying to find any clues to help bust this case wide open. Suddenly, Robin, the boy wonder, pops up next to her, impressing and startling Batgirl. She explains the case, wondering if Batman knew anything about it. Robin explains that Batman is out of the country. Batgirl goes on to ask the boy wonder what Robin knew about Catwoman. In a nutshell, Robin explains that Catwoman is beautiful, dangerous, and mad manipulative. Batgirl didn't go on to reveal why she asked. Robin spots the back signal in the night sky and swings off. But before he left, tells Batgirl that Batman would not allow her to wear the bat if he didn't think she was capable, which really gives Batgirl a sense of worth. And when Selina finds Val again, the girl has put on a costume and announces she wants to act as Catwoman's psychic, Kitten. Well, Catwoman wants nothing to do with that. Spurned, Val bounces off, saying Selina will come to regret it. Catwoman then meets up with Batgirl again to tell her that Burnham is the real villain here, but to learn more... Our two ladies nevertheless grab the vampire and question him properly. Though he's not a real vamp, he is allergic to sunlight, so he starts talking as soon as Catwoman opens the blinds. He tells them doctors implanted Burnham's spine with circuitry allowing him to walk, but also giving him an electrical charge that makes him violent and needs to be released. Three women have already died, but Dark doesn't care. Dark questions why the two are so concerned about a strung-out young lady leading Batgirl to punching his lights out. Catwoman assures Batgirl that she is the one who is supposed to play bad cop in this situation. Back on mission. Barbara Gordon continues to do her research, discovering that Liz was not his first victim. In addition, the research center that performed the surgery are beginning to question the side effects of what could be following the surgery. Batgirl understands more than ever that Ryder Burnham must be stopped. Catwoman sets the trap. She calls Burnham and asks for a meet at the library, though has Batgirl hack his house security system and deactivate it. Perhaps that's how Kitten gets in, but Burnham gets the better of her. At the library, Burnham delivers Val to Catwoman as a bargaining chip, but well, that's not Selina. It's Barbara Gordon underneath that cat suit, which really disappoints Val. Burnham starts to charge up like the Energizer Bunny, but Batgirl drop kicks him for this ends tonight. Burnham counters with an electro blast, sending Barbara back to the bookshelf. Ouch! Batgirl asks Burnham if he was always a wank or did this just suit his new fashion. Ryder Burnham gives the speech that this all started when he lost his ability to walk. After that, he believed in nothing. Batgirl ducks and dodges his attacks, but it would help if she could get an assist from... Catwoman finally shows up. Late on account of having gotten the remote control to Burnham's spine from the tech research company. So, he's paralyzed again. Batgirl assures Burnham that he will not get away with his crimes. For Barbara Gordon's keen research skills, she has alerted authorities, linking him to three other murders. Zing! The cops arrive and the women think about leaving. Val is absolutely not grateful for the save, still feeling jilted by Catwoman. In the epilogue, the cat leaves the bat a cryptic let's work together again sometime message in the classifieds and a more personal note attached to a renaissance painting because yeah, 
She used the meeting as a distraction to rob Burnham's place after all. Barbara Gordon enters the den where James Gordon is sleeping in front of a television, which happens to be on the local news. Funny enough, the reporter reports that a Renaissance painting, thought to be destroyed during the First World War, was returned to the Gotham Museum. Barbara wakes her father, explaining that she wants the two of them to spend more bonding time with each other. Because if you don't have family, what do you have? Barbara thinks to herself, she is no Batman, and she doesn't wish to be. She is a great detective, and she is willing to learn from her mistakes. In another location in Gotham, which looks like a mansion, a butler answers the door. It is Valerie. She has returned home, and she looks like her beef with Catwoman is not over. Yay! All right. Uh, I gotta say, you uh, you you raised the bar as far as synopsis goes. Uh, that was like like beat poetry. You pulled a Howard Simpson. If, if you're if anyone out there is still a fan of uh, the Secret Origins podcast that's on our network, you pulled a Howard Simpson. That was great. I mean, uh, that's the story. What did you think of it? I haven't read that much of like stories where it's Barbara Gordon playing Batgirl and like like Barbara Gordon, uh, Dick Grayson, Robin stories. So um, this seemed like it was like, uh, let's say Barbara Gordon, I shouldn't do this because it's comics. Let's say Barbara Gordon was Batgirl for seven years. This looks like it was uh, a story from year three. And um, I found it fascinating. I really like the story. I like this whole thing of Catwoman kind of giving her some advice as far as you know, these ideals that you have, you know, you need to get with a sister. <laughs> yeah, she's she's the more cynical, seasoned veteran. So that's interesting. I, I like it. And, and it's not, you know, like you, I I think I'm a bigger, I, I, I'm not, I don't think I'm mistaken in saying this. I, I think I'm a bigger Oracle fan than I am a bad girl fan. Same here. Yeah. Uh, because I read so, you know, so much of my comics history has her in that role and in so many comics that I, that I enjoyed. While Batgirl was, yeah, a peripheral character up until then. I mean, I think the first Batgirl story I read as a comic was that special where she retires, you know, just before Killing Joke. So it's not like she was an active crime fighter while I was beginning to start reading comics. But every time that they went back in time during the, the Oracle era and showed us like early cases where she was bad girl, I enjoyed them. So I, yes. you know, I, I'd rather have an Oracle in the DC universe and then have flashbacks to bad girl's career. That's, I think that would be like the sweet spot for me as far as what Barbara can do. And there's another, uh, I, I wanted to mention this, the, there's another bad girl Catwoman team up uh that's like a number of issues in batman confidential around the like issue 20 there's like a like a five issue series where a bad girl sort of tracks catwoman and catwoman is more of a villain in that it's not really a team up so much as a that cat and mouse game where the mouse is racing after the cat and it's like the art is by kevin mcguire it's i mean that one's worth seeking out as well uh, let me say that before getting into into this one. So there are a lot of weird things happening in <laughs> in this book. Uh, I, I wanted to have your uh, your opinion on um, on the villains because we have a number of villains. We got Burnham, the the uh, electrical philanthropist who's murdering people. We have the fake vampire, and we have that Duchamp character, the the biker, the French biker. <laughs> yeah, I was murdering his name. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what what do you think of, of this trio of foes that the graphic novel churns through? Do you know what? That's actually a good point. I can enjoy a story if the villains are weak. 
Like, I know there's certain people where it's like, you know, if, if the villain isn't really bringing it, they feel like the story suffers. You know what? Now that I think about it, I I enjoyed them. And I like that kind of tier system of, you know, it was that French biker. I don't know if he was from where you are, if he was from Louisiana or something or from France. I don't know what was going on there. Sounds French. Yeah, he sounds French. So that's why I was like, <laughs> is he from Louisiana? Is he? Uh... No, but um, I, I like how it was kind of small town crooks with that. And then it led to the vampire guy where you thought, yeah, this dude is, uh, he's menacing. But then we find out he's kind of like this failed poet, wannabe vampire. And then we go up another level. And I, I always like stories where it's, uh, you're taking down high society, high. So it's kind of a double-edged sword because this guy, uh, he is raising money to help people in need, but he's, Killing people that he think are the forgotten. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, I like the villainy in this book. It was very urgent, too. I, I think it's a bit of a cross-section of what Gotham is all about. It's like, very strange. Even the low-level villains have a strangeness to them, you know, ha- are kind of wacky in a way. Uh, you know, the, the guy who thinks he's a vampire, the... The, the 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 Frenchman who's like this badass American biker, and of course the the high society type with uh, in this case with powers, uh, who fakes who has a secret identity as a cripple, you know. So it, it's very Gothamy in that sense, especially the vampire bit. Good point. And you know, this is the the Jim Ballant era Catwoman that's in this a series that was already over by the time the, anyway, you know, the the graphic novel takes place in the past. Uh, and uh that was very cheesecakey as a series, I guess, you would say, uh because the Catwoman's uniform was so it was tight and she had these humongous breasts which was not always how she was drawn but in this era certainly was uh and uh i i don't think this book here with uh this artist makes it into cheesecake i appreciated that where okay she, yeah catwoman's in a bubble bath and all that that's you expect that from catwoman i don't think it's played for titillation for either of the girls she just seems tough. Like, she seems street smart. And she she kind of seems like, you know, uh, Barbara Gordon, you're well-read and, you know, you do your research. But the intelligence that I bring to this, at the end of the day, we were we were even. You know, you know as soon as, and I know I'm supposed to defend Batgirl, but Catwoman lets her know straight up, like, my experience, you know, through just living life. And like really understanding what life is about, you know, uh, and Barbara Gordon has faced some tragedies even before the the fatal shot. But uh, Catwoman is letting her know that my life experience brings a lot to this team up as well. And that was cool. That was a cool little dichotomy with this story. It plays on both women's mental game. Catwoman is like in a heist you know, she's, she's, it's really, it's like Oceans 2, where, where, uh, while Bad Girl's doing something, she's tricking the villain in, in another way and, uh, and getting all, all, you know, all the money or all the artwork. You know, that works on as a heist part of it. Uh, and, and then we're very much with Bad Girl. We're in her head and, uh, seeing how she's dealing with, her insecurities as a crime fighter at this point in her career, you know? It's really about the mental game and not, uh, they don't play it up as a sort of a sexy romp with two, uh, supposedly, you know, beautiful heroines or whatever, uh, which some of the comics in the 90s would have possibly 
played it up that way, you know? Uh, and when we see, I mean, case in point, when we see Bad Girl in Catwoman's uniform, it's kind of all saggy because uh, she's, she's a much more petite character and they let the suit be loose on her. I love that detail, you know, that they're not all the same body type and the artist realizes this, you know? It's not just like one size fits all because the artist draws only one body type. So I love that. You know what was cool about this story is how both characters kind of backdoored into this, uh, on this case where, you know, Bad Girl, when she was, uh, chasing the Frenchman on the motorcycle, it led to like, whoa, I look to the right, it's a dead body here. And then with Catwoman, oh, yeah. she just wanted to case the joint. And I was like, oh man, it sounds like domestic violence in there. See, I, I like that too. It was like, it was a situational comedy kind of. <laughs> yeah. But with murder them- and. Uh, abuse, sorry, so a situation of drama. But yeah, but both of them kind of, uh, there's a lot of coincidences, I guess, because also one of the particulars, one of the possible victims is an old school friend of Barbara's. Uh, and they were on the gymnastics team together, which explains why, you know, it's just a way to tell us that, yeah, Bad Girl is a very athletic character, but she always was. You know, she has that in her background. It makes sense for her to, 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 to have that as a starting point. And then this girl... Val uh, also has these abilities. I guess she kept, she's, you know, she's still in good shape because by the time that she, in this story, she decides she wants to be Catwoman's sidekick and uh, also takes off, you know, running across rooftops at some point. <laughs> Just like, bam, I, I got dressed for this and suddenly I can do parkour. Okay. We, we you know, that this is how superhero universes work. Uh, you just need to be in, in good physical condition, and uh, you can do these amazing feats of acrobatics. Uh, the, the story tells us they were on a gymnastics team together, so it's kind of we. Of course, we'll see Kitten uh, again in the that, that's going to be the sequel to this. So, uh, faithful listeners, uh, wait about a, a year or so. You know, next year we'll <laughs> we'll cover this story and see what happens. Uh, but uh, but Kitten does not become Bad Girl's you know all time nemesis. We would have heard of her before, I guess. Uh, there will be another, a similar character, Catgirl, uh, Katrina Falcone becomes Catgirl in, um, in later, later comics and, uh, will be Catwoman's sometime partner, I guess. And the look isn't that far off from this, but, um, but it's a different character. So you have to wait for that, that second part of the story. Uh, but, uh, what did you think of Val? You know what? That's another one too, where this story, it kind of hits close to home because, you know, I, I remember this time period and it seems, uh, rather believable where, you know, bad girl, Barbara Gordon, uh, you know, I go to a club, I bump into an old high school student and this character now is, Wow, man, you know, she's affecting both characters again. I like the character. I, I think, uh, kind of unbelievable with the villainy, but I just like the fact that she's like, Hey, you know, let me be your sidekick and I would like to be called kitten. <laughs> I just think that's hilarious. I want to be called kitten. <laughs> yeah. Valerie. And I like how she was taking Barbara Gordon because, you know, uh, the way that this was displayed, uh, Barbara Gordon is more studious. You know, she wouldn't really be in this designer drug post uh, techno club. So it's kind of like, you know, I know you, you know, you're punctual and all that. But, you know, just kind of look at this. And she was taking Barbara Gordon on the wild side, like, hey, look at this club life and let's go VIP and all this stuff. I think if someone were like 18 years old, like if a millennial read this 
And they looked at that, and I'm like, okay, I guess that's what the late 90s, early 2000s was about, I guess. <laughs> I don't know if that answered the question. Yeah, no, well, you know, there was a bigger club scene then in North America than um, maybe now. I don't know. Or maybe now it's back. I, I you know, I've stopped going out. But uh, I remember distinctly there was like a club, you know, club scene. And then maybe after the, uh, at least in Canada, when they out my area, when they, when you couldn't smoke in, indoors anymore, people started migrating to uh, other venues, I guess. And there, now there was like a big pub scene. Yes, yeah. People are lounging more and, pu- and yeah, the pub, yeah. And sort of kill the clubs or something. But uh, uh, yeah, the 90s were definitely the, the height of the, of the club scene for when I was... Uh, going out and getting a drink, you know. So, uh, yeah, it, it felt like it, it, you know, we don't have any, like, almost satanic clubs, you know, the big fiery nine on the <laughs> on the dance floor and, and all that. Obviously, this is like the Gotham Underground. Uh, I think even if uh, Barbara went clubbing, this wouldn't be it, probably. Prodigy Firestarter. That's the music I was listening to when I was hearing, oh, yeah. when I was reading these scenes. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's totally techno. I want to say, there, there's still our weaknesses. We're very enthusiastic about it, and, and uh, Catwoman solves problems with a remote control more than once. <laughs> so, overall, I do... Uh, enjoy the 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 story and it's got a lot going on it, it could almost have been a two or three issues of a ongoing series you know it, we're this time we're dealing with this character and this time we're dealing with this villain and this uh and uh they just make it last but um we didn't talk about the art so uh, what did you think of the art you know what i well I don't want to get too much into it, but there was a series that I had to follow for podcast reasonings, and I really did not like the art. So for this, I thought it was awesome. Someone might look at it and go like, Asher, what are you talking about? But I'm still like washing my mouth out from this other experience. Trust me, this is like head over heels. This is some good stuff. Honestly, Siskoid, I thought it fit the feeling of that period. And, you know, going back to that club scene where it is very viable that a dude in there would look like a vampire, is not a vampire, but have the traits of a vampire. During that time, That that's very, like, passable that would happen. But, yeah, you know, like Barbara Gordon's expressions... The fight scenes, I, I thought the art was, uh, I didn't have a problem with it. Oh, yeah, like the Anne Rice uh, popularity, right? That, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I thought uh, Derek Robertson here did uh, a good job, especially with the two leads. The two leads look great. And sometimes he makes me think of uh, Sean McManus, especially Val. Val has like a Sean McManus face uh, where she looks like she's right out of Sandman's Game of You or out of uh, the Doctor Fate series of the uh, late '80s, early '90s. His Robin's kind of creepy. I get, you know, I kind of uh, maybe it's there, there, there's a Robin in the hallucination who's creepy, but then when we meet Robin for real. Uh, but overall, maybe it's Jimmy Palmiotti's uh, deep pools of shadow. There's like, you know, there's a real sense that you're looking at uh, something that takes place at night mm. that's well done uh, along with the you know the deeper colors the it feels like this is always at night so uh, that's a good place to be when you're in Gotham you know Gotham in bright sunlight is rather silly and you, I, I tell you something that's interesting you you mentioned Catwoman with the remote control it's it's kind of telling because and I didn't mention it with the publication history with the new 52, Batgirl is up and running again. So it's like, hey, what is that about? Did the Oracle thing ever happen? And you end up finding out later that they 
put some type of uh stuff in her spine. And I know that the the next little Batgirl saga series that's coming up is going to be someone that that knows about that spine surgery and is going to try to manipulate it. and I wonder if they're going to have this Catwoman remote control from this research center. <laughs> Yeah, because uh, Batgirl doesn't have the electrical powers, so maybe they've perfected the technology. Uh, but it does seem like uh, this, um, you know, the, the elements from this very graphic novel sort of show up in the New 52 somehow, but could be an, a coincidence. You know what's interesting is that this research center, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm like, maybe I didn't interpret it correctly. So this research center, you know, this guy has a lot of money. So like, hey, I want the best minds. Come up with something. I just want to walk again. So they do this thing and it's pretty advanced and maybe questionable. And then they go, you know what? You know, for all they know, this dude's just a philanthropist. But they went, you know what? This guy, just in case he might use it for evil, let's do a fail safe and just have this remote handy just in case he just starts (laughs) killing women that he think are the forgotten. And think about that too, as far as like, that was a, a plot point in the story, like, Man, like, you know, just, it was about killing women. And like, even that vampire dude, like, why would you care about her? Like, she's just some strung out crackhead or something. And Batgirl punched her. But that's some dark stuff that's Gotham related as well. My interpretation of the remote, uh, if, yeah, it feels like a bit of a plot hole. I mean, it's kind of an easy (laughs) fix. But, but maybe, you know, if you're implanting technology into a person like you know experimental technology in a person and uh, you want to be able to turn it on and off and adjust it you'd think that it would be done with a console not with a remote control <laughs> you know but but say you know the you have to visit the guy and frequently at first when he's in recovery and you go to his home and then you just sort of twiddle with the with the remote. And it's not because he's supposed to have electrical powers, because obviously that's a side effect didn't plan for, or that it warps his mind. Again, I don't think, you know, they didn't know it would do that. But, you know, whatever, whatever malfunctions might happen, maybe we need to turn this thing off because it's causing some sort of problem, a seizure, uh, you know, maybe it's, it's affecting his other limbs. Maybe it's malfunctioning somehow. So you want to turn it off and cool it down or it's technology. Maybe, you know, it could overheat and, blow a hole through his back, you know. I, I, I'm thinking in terms of um, DC Comics Mad Science. <laughs> what could go wrong? Uh, and so you'd have a remote in case. And then maybe there is a copy of the remote in the house as well, you know. The, the guy has his own remote and he can turn it on and off. And maybe when he's in the wheelchair, he's turned himself off uh, just to make sure he doesn't make a, a false move or... You don't want to burn the battery. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so maybe there, he has a remote as well just um, at home and so they have remote controls they had to develop them they had to have a copy of the of the thing in their lab does that make sense i'm i'm, I'm usually good at uh, making sense of these nonsense things i'm loving it <laughs> The mini debate uh, that we have every time to see who fared better, Catwoman or Batgirl, in this. The first question is, how well does this fit each of their stories or atmospheres? Or Is this more of a Batgirl story or is it more of a Catwoman story? I, I think it's a Batgirl story, but Catwoman fared better because she was always steps ahead. Uh, literally with the rooftops, figuratively. Uh, you know, like as you were doing this, 
I went and got the painting. So I think it's a Batgirl story because, you know, and we got to do more. We got to see Gordon and that relationship. We were able to see, you know, talking to Robin and getting that validation. Like, no, you're you're a good kiddo. Go for it. But Catwoman, uh, man, she she just ran uh, rings around her. I'd have to agree that we're more in Barbara's head than we are in Selena's. And it's about solving murders, which isn't what Catwoman does. She just sort of, uh, I guess. <laughs> yeah, she was the reluctant hero. Yeah, and Bad Girl was the, uh, you know, the willing hero. So Catwoman gets roped into it. Bad Girl, that's that's her deal. That's just, and so that it is a Bad Girl story. I think either way, the atmosphere is uh, common to both because they both live in Gotham. All right, well, who had the best moves then? Cool moves. What was Bad Girl's best move? Oh, wow. You know what? I think Bad Girl's best move was the research skills. Like, hey, she was pulling this stuff together as far as like, oh, okay. Uh, you know, this dude, this is the first time he did it. Uh, she knew to let me look through the diary. Because remember, there were some detectives working this case. And she was light years ahead of all of them and solved it. So that was her best move. Willow to... Uh Catwoman's Buffy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Obviously, there's some physical action in this thing, but uh, I think Catwoman's best move is the, the heist. Is you know, at the end, is the reveal that she was all along was playing both Bad Girl and Burnham yes. uh, in setting up this meet. So uh, this whole plan, where Bad Girl is, is dressed as Catwoman, it's all a diversion for Catwoman's real plan, and I think that's where she shines, where she's not. Oh, because this is a team up, we're going to make Catwoman a hero. Uh, no, she's still a crook. <laughs> but she just helped a, a hero, you know, solve a problem. But in her heart of hearts, she shows she's a crook through and through. So that was my favorite, uh, like the coolest move for Catwoman. Now, at the end, did she return that painting to the uh, Gotham Museum or was that something else? That's Bad Girl. So, ah, yeah, she, she stole a lot of art, but that one piece... She gotcha. sent it to, to Batgirl, and then Batgirl gave it back to the museum because, you know, <laughs> altruistic, and you don't want your dad walk into your apartment and there's the stolen painting on the wall. <laughs> you know what? This is something that we talk about a lot on Feathers and Foes, uh, yeah. my Birds of Prey podcast, where, you know, Barbara Gordon is ruthless. You know, she'll do anything for information and the, the manipulation she does with Black Canary and all this stuff. Is this where the seed was planted? Retroactively, I think, yeah. Retroactively, yeah, I like yeah, that. Yeah, retroactively. But yeah, so it's like origin story of growing a little bit of, you know, getting more mature and getting a lesson from someone who's been in the game longer that uh, sometimes you gotta, you know, sometimes you gotta be manipulative to make it I work. I like that. Uh, what about dumb or weird moves? There are always some in these uh, team-ups. So what is uh, Bad Girl's... I'm asking you to trash your uh, your hero here, but <laughs> what's the dumbest or weirdest move that Bad Girl pulls? It was hard for me to pick one, so I chose this one. This might be a shot in the dark or a reach, but it, or it might be right on target. And it was the inner dialogue when she was talking to Robin, and she brought up Catwoman and... You know, from her vantage point, it was like his ears perked up and he was like, oh, yeah, like now he was interested. And I think, no, he was kind of the, of the same interest throughout the conversation. And she was like, yeah, I bet he likes Catwoman. And I was thinking like, nah, nah, that was the one part where I was like, I didn't need that. So that would be my 
bad move by bad girl. What about you with Catwoman? I mean, it's a plot problem. I guess it's the writer's problem. But it's Catwoman who does this. And it's letting Dark go and then capturing him again to get information from him. I mean, you had him. You could have gotten information there and then. But then you let him go loose and then you get him back. And I know there's like this bit where he's supposed to go back to Burnham and tell him stuff and he's supposed to give him the message you know don't bother these women again because they'll go to the cops or whatever plot wise it's just a back and forth and i always think that's a weak point in plots when uh you're you're somewhere and then you backtrack and then you have to get back to that somewhere it could have been you know better packaged uh that to me is the weakest bit for Catwoman. Otherwise, I mean, she's the mastermind here. Big time. And maybe, you know, Bad Girl and Robin, that story. Maybe uh, it's maybe that's Bad Girl's insecurity, not just as a hero, but perhaps as a love interest for uh, Dick. It, she feels that, that maybe Robin doesn't, you know, it's kind of ignores her and she's got kind of a crush going already. And uh, that he seems more interested in Catwoman is just like her perception of it, uh, where uh, it just, just shows that she's a little bit jealous and, uh, you know, that's, that's her insecurity as a character at this point in her career. It's not, it's not the greatest, um, look. No, <laughs> no, it doesn't look good, but yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe that's, that's why she thinks that. I think I'm just being a little harsh. I'm not a, uh, Dick Grayson, Barbara Gordon shipper. I don't ship them either. I think, uh, it does seem a natural. I like them as like best friends or like, yeah. I, I, I like the idea that they've dated once and that now they're just friends. I like that. Um, the friendly farewell. That's always our, our last bit. Uh, it's a team up tradition. How do the heroes leave? each other's company as it friendly who has the upper hand socially so um what did you think of this uh, goodbye between them the i guess it's catwoman sending a classified ad and a painting to uh, to barbara you know what i think that just the intertwined plotting with these two characters i don't think this is a classic story but i thought that it all worked out well i mean i, I think that both characters got something out of this even though Maybe uh, Batgirl got duped. I think that Batgirl learned from this experience and Catwoman, as tough as she is, I think she knows, you know, what. I think she came out of the situation. You know what? I liked her. I, I see why Batman is allowing her to do this. Oh, yeah, that's true. Because, yeah, Catwoman's kind of a, a free agent. You'd think that Batman would uh, send her ass to uh, a prison. But uh, he doesn't really put much effort in it, (laughs) (laughs) does he? (laughs) No. Uh, Okay, we'll take a break for a couple of promos, and then we'll be back uh, with our bonus team-ups. Coming soon from Amalgam Comics. In the next issue of Catgirl, Barbara Kyle is at a crossroads in her relationship with Batwing. But can the Lady Robin Hood of Gotham pull off her greatest heist even while sitting across the table from him at dinner? Plus, Angle Moth returns and Bab's son James isn't safe. On the stands, the 15th of August. Yeah, let me speak to a manager because this is out of control. Freaking Chick-fil-A being stingy with the... Wait, Black Canary? Oh no, not you. (laughs) Black Canary, you're a manager at Chick-fil-A? Look, if you must know, I'm working an undercover operation here. Wait, there isn't any type of slave labor or human trafficking going on here, is it? No, idiot. But I'm not going to tell you my secret mission so you can blab about it on your podcast, Feathers and Foes, 
or the Batgirl Cassandra Kane podcast. And don't forget, the Right On Network has another podcast, Straight Out of Gallifrey. Straight Out of what? Gallifrey, a podcast where we discuss Doctor Who episodes featuring other Time Lords. Hey, eyes up here. What? I saw where you were looking. Pump the brakes, chica. Now look, one, I'm over a foot taller than you. Second, my legs look way better in fishnets than yours. Oh. Look, furthermore, it is straight unsanitary for you to be back there with the food wearing those fishnets. Look, mister. Uh, 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 Canary, that's my tie. I'm going to choke you with this tie, mister. Co-CEO of the Right On Network. I have business to attend to. What do you want? Okay, can you loosen the grip first? <coughs> Thanks. <laughs> I just want two extra packets of barbecue sauce, but that bully over there... Stacy? Yeah, that bully won't give me two extra packets. You must pay! Stacy, remember what we said about fists? Look, here are two barbecue sauce packets. Now get out of here. Just so you know, I like the hunches better. Why, I oughta. This promo has no affiliation with Chick-fil-A. However, you may send all complaints to rightonnetwork.com or feathersandfoes.com. We're back. One final feature before we go, the bonus team-up, in which each of us proposes a perfect bad girl and Catwoman team-up. So I'll do a Catwoman team-up. What would be your preferred bad girl team-up? I struggle with this, Siskoi, but mine would be bad girl and star spangled girl. I really love that character, Jeff Jones' uh, character in uh, Justice Society of America. And it goes a little something like this. Bad girl and star spangled girl... I would call it the Burnside Bop. Courtney and Barbara both frequent a local pub called the Leaky Tavern. Although the Leaky Tavern is littered with tasty craft beer, Babs and Court like frequenting the place for its almond tart, which is to die for, according to Courtney. The two are really enjoying each other's company, but when they discover the Leaky Tavern is just a front for a backdoor gambling shack, the two are kind of side-faced about the deal. Everything seems no harm, no foul, till one of the regulars is murdered for cheating during a stormy day blackout. The Leaky Tavern locks his doors, not allowing anyone out, till the rain dies down and it is safe for the cops to show up. Till then, Courtney and Batgirl, who suited up while the lights went out, engage in the hipster craft beer pub Agatha Christie mystery (laughs) for the ages. (laughs) I'd read it. I would. I, I I love those characters. Yeah, I'd read it. Um, for me, Cat. Well, I I don't think I was as imaginative for Catwoman, uh, but I would do a classic DC Marvel team up: uh, Catwoman and Black Cat. I haven't seen these two together. I'd bill it as the well, actually, I'd bill it as a Batman Spider Man crossover event. But all of their action would be in the background. So what we really follow are DC and Marvel's premier cat burglars as they compete uh, and then collaborate on like a major burglary. Uh, with you know, with se- sexy and tasteful art from someone like Amanda Connor, I, I, that that's the kind of book I would want to read. And uh, I, I don't know if fans would be disappointed that there's not more Batman and Spider-Man in it, <laughs> but you know, that's still uh, kind of how I would sell it. I remember in the '90s there was a, a bunch of uh, like Batman and Spider-Man, Batman and Spawn team-up books. Yeah, a lot of Batman crossed over with many, many characters, especially in the '90s. And uh, of course, the, those are all open up for grabs on this show i'm sure we're going to cover some of them daredevil and you know there was all sorts and if you were popular 
you uh, probably crossed over with Batman during this era. Well, uh, that's all the time we have. Thanks for teaming up with me, Ashford. Uh, can you remind people where they can find you on these here internets? Yes, you can do. This is the easy way to do all encompassing. Go to writeonnetwork.com. That's W-R-I-G-H-T on network.com. And that's where you can find me talking about Birds of Prey, uh, Doctor Who with Siskoid a lot of times, the Cassandra Kane Batgirl. Apparently, she's going to be in the Birds mm-hmm. of Prey movie. Yay. Yeah. And if for you folks that are from the 90s, if you like Seinfeld, we have a podcast called The Four Who Rule. There you go. And a reminder that we do enjoy reading your comments and that the best place for that is fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can also visit the Fire and Water Podcast Network Facebook page or tag us on Twitter using the hashtag FWPodcast. Uh, We'll see you next time for another amazing superhero team up because after all, justice is a team effort. I saw your phony broadcast tonight, Catwoman. Is that any way to greet an old friend? Not even a hello, how are you? (sighs) Peaches and manners, fellas.